If you choose to become inactive or to leave the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where will you go? What will you do? You're entering Outer Brightness. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, just in case you didn't get it in those first few, few verses, right? You, you, you were dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Did, did I born myself again? No. He made me alive together with Christ. Listen, I can no more manufacture the second birth than I manufactured the first one. Fireflies, welcome to this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. This week, we're talking about the topic of topics when it comes to Mormonism, continuing revelation. The ninth LDS article of faith states, we believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The concept that the heavens are open and God has more to say than what is in the Bible is foundational to Mormonism. Christians who believe in a closed canon or that God is not revealing new truths today are considered to be limiting God by Latter-day Saints. Let's talk about this. So, Matthew, when you were LDS, how important was this concept of an open canon or continuing revelation? Well, it was vital. It was absolutely vital to my faith. It was the reason why we are the true church and everyone else is not. If you took away continuing revelation— we're just another religion that's trying to interpret a set of books that have been given to us and trying to interpret it the best way we can. But, uh, you know, as I saw it, you look around at all the different Christian churches and they're all trying to interpret the Bible. None of them can come to a perfect consensus. So it seems like you need some kind of authority to step in and say exactly what God wants us to know. So, yeah, it was incredibly vital to my, my faith. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Um, the same word jumped to my head, vital. It was one of my vital organs as a Latter-day Saint to believe in continuing revelation. Um, if, we, if it came to a closed canon, whenever I thought about that, it was actually a threat to my faith because a closed canon would undermine the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, it made this, if, if there's no revelation, then the scripture that we had was obsolete and useless in our modern lives. And then an open canon was proof that God still loved us and was still willing to communicate the mysteries of the universe to us. All right. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a, a big part of my, my beliefs as a Latter-day Saint. Um, you know, it's, as, as you both noted, it's vital without it. Uh, the whole purpose of, of any uh, supposed restoration falls apart. Um, so, yeah. What, uh, what did you think of Christians who did not believe in continuing revelation, Michael? Well, I thought, <laughs> I thought that they worshiped the Bible, first of all, that they put so much emphasis on the Bible that they were rejecting God, in a sense. I thought they were 
silly to accept the Bible, but to reject the source from whence it came to be, and that they were stuck in a two-dimensional worldview. Ultimately, I felt sorry for them because with them just using their logic, I thought that they would never have the faith to pray about the Book of Mormon and and discover that it was true. So they were going to be stuck that way forever. Okay. Yeah. So for you, then the concept of continuing revelation wasn't just uh, limited to the prophets and apostles of the LDS faith, but you kind of viewed it as a, as a personal right or privilege as well. Yeah. I would definitely say that I viewed it as something that every single Latter-day Saint could receive this revelation. They couldn't receive it for the entire church, but they could receive it for their families and for themselves. And so it was just as vital for me to receive it for myself as it was for the apostles and the prophet to receive it for the church. Okay. Yeah. Matthew, agree with that? Yeah. I mean, when we, when we look at LDS doctrine, it's so focused on receiving revelation at various levels for their stewardship, whatever their stewardship is and their calling. And so when we, when I, when I as a Latter-day Saint looked at Christians and I thought that Christians as who had pastors or who had bishops or popes, I thought, what well, what is the point of having these leaders if they're not receiving the will of God? When you, when you, when you read throughout scripture, whether it's the Bible or the book of Mormon, you see God working through prophets. You know, that's what missionaries teach. They go through the beginning to the end and show that God's always spoken through prophets. He's always had a representative on the earth to speak his will. So if you don't have that today, then you obviously aren't following the Bible. At least that's how I understood it. Yeah. All right. Um, so I guess now let's cross over to talking about what we believe now as Christians. Um, do you believe in, con- in continuing revelation now as a Christian, Michael? I would say um, more no than yes to this question. So no in the sense that there's no new doctrine being revealed to us that is not already in the Bible. But I would say, you know, especially if I was talking to a Latter-day Saint, that I believe in a living revelation, that the revelation that we have right now is not some dead, obsolete scripture that doesn't apply to us today, but it is living scripture that applies to us just as much right now as it did when it was written. And so it is just as vital now, even if it hasn't been added. Right. Yeah. Matthew? Yeah, I think I would agree with Michael. There was an article that uh, our friend Fred posted the other day where he says that the canon is not closed in quotes. Um, and that was an actually an interesting article that I would recommend reading. But it, what, he wasn't saying, you know, hey, we're coming. We're, there's going to be a new Bible 2.0 coming out. It was more just saying God has revealed what he's revealed and it's sufficient for us. And God is still working through that revelation in us and for the church today. And so it's it's not like we're reading a history book of things that have happened in the past. And, well, that was nice. God did some things in the past. You know, that's, you know, God is still working today, maybe not in the same ways as he's always done in the past. But he is still working today. He's still a God of miracles, which is one of the criticisms I had as a Latter-day Saint. There's passages in the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants where it talks about God is God of miracles. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God performed a miracle in the past, he should perform a miracle today. And I use that as a Latter-day Saint to show, hey, if you don't have a prophet that's speaking new revelations today, then you know, then you don't have the same God of miracles. But we do see God still performing miracles today, one of which is regenerating uh, an unbeliever or rebellious hater of God into a born again child of God that loves God and seeks to follow God. That's, that's the miracle that we see every time someone comes to faith in Christ. So God is still working today 
And he's still using his word to do that, but he isn't giving us new passages of the Bible or new passages of scripture. So in, in other words, the can the canon isn't officially closed in the sense of we have a passage in the Bible that says no more books after this we're done. We'll kind of talk about that. I think later in the discussion, but, but in the sense of God having completed it, finished it and given it to the church, it, it is complete. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and Michael, I liked what you, what you said about the word of God being living. It reminds me of uh, Hebrews four twelve, uh, which says for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So I love that passage because uh, it does show that, that the word of God is living, right? It's not, it's not a passive thing. Uh, God is still active through his word to the church, um, to the, as the passage say, says, to the piercing as far as, you know, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, um, you know, that's, that's, that gets to my, you know, Matthew's point that it's, it's, it is still a miracle when God works uh, salvation in a sinner's heart. And so, um, yeah, love, love uh, what you both had to say there. Yeah, what's, what's really cool about that scripture too, is, uh, you know, it says that it's, it's as sharp as a two inch sword. Basically the word of God does not rust, you know, it stays completely new all the time. And that's, what's amazing about scripture. Oh, I like that. I like that. So, you know, we know that the, the, the claim of the LDS church is that the world needs the continuing revelation of their prophets and, and apostles. Right. I remember when, when the uh, proclamation to the world came out, uh, I mean, that's, if you think about it, that's a pretty, pretty bold statement, right? We're going to make a proclamation uh, from Salt Lake city to the world. Um, so what do you think? Does the, does the world need continuing revelation now, Matthew, why don't you take this one first? So this is often a question the Latter-day Saints will ask us as Christians. They'll say, well, why, why can't God speak today? Why can't he give more? Why aren't you expecting more? And I think the question should be rephrased to ask them, why are we not cherishing every single word that God has already given? When we look at the Bible, there's 66 books. There's over 700,000 words, over 40 inspired authors. We have so much. We are so, we have an embarrassment of riches. We have such a wealth of knowledge that God has given us. And as a Latter-day Saint, we learned, you know, one year in Sunday school, we would learn the New Testament. One year we learned the Old Testament. But when you're going 9, 10, 15 chapters at a time, there's no way you can understand everything that's being said. There is so much depth and riches in the Old and New Testaments. And instead of asking, well, why shouldn't we get more? We should be asking ourselves, have I appreciated or thanked God for what he's already given me? And if we can look at all those 700,000 words and say, yeah, that's what God said in the past, but I want something more. It doesn't, it's not good enough then I think that's an issue that we have in our hearts. We, we need to repent and realize that God has given us such a treasury of knowledge and wisdom, and we need to really study that. So no, I don't think we need more words added on to that. Good. Yeah. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I really want to echo what Matthew said as well. A lot of times Latter-day Saints want to emphasize their quantity of scripture, but they reject the quality of scripture by so doing. And you ask them, you know, have you read the Bible in its entirety? And most of the time they will say no. And if they have, they haven't done it recently. And so what is the use of having new scripture if you're not utilizing the Bible in the first place? 
the only reason that we would need new revelation is if the old revelation that we had was corrupted, which of course the LDS say that it was. So the only reason we would need revelation is for one, damage control, or two, filling in gaps that were left with the original revelation. And so basically what that leaves us with is that the Bible must have been corrupted, incorrupt, incorrect, or incomplete. In other words, God would have given us misinformation in the original revelation. I don't believe that that is possible. And even if it was, that is not a God that I have any interest in worshiping. So no, I don't think there needs to be any new revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Both, both of you made good points there. Um, you know, when you think about the the article of faith, the ninth article of faith that we read at the beginning of the this episode, um, you know, the, the claim is made that that Latter-day Saints believe that he, he being God will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And and recently uh their their prophet Russell M. Nelson has said that you know the the restoration is ongoing. Um when you when you were a Latter-day Saint, um what did how did you view this this idea that God would reveal yet many great and important things about the kingdom of God? Did that did that seem to you like the restoration wasn't complete? What were you expecting from that phrase? Well, I mean, I'll jump in there. I was looking forward to the new revelations that were going to come. I didn't ever think that the restoration wasn't complete. I think I would have freaked out if I heard the prophet say those words. So I thought that they were going to be important uh, revelations, but I wasn't expecting like new saving ordinances or anything like that. I just thought they would be kind of interesting tidbits. You know, the uh, is it the Book of Mormon that talks about other tribes of Israel that that wrote scripture and that those would come forth someday? So I was kind of expecting some new scripture to show up. That would be a third and fourth witness to the Bible, not really saying anything new, but just being more witnesses to to validate my faith. But of course, that new scripture never showed up, which was kind of disappointing. So, uh, so uh, you expected interesting tidbits, but not uh, not great and great and important things. I guess I guess not. I guess I was uh, uh, not as optimistic as I could have been. All right. Matthew, what about you? Yeah, I didn't think he was going. I, I've, I personally also thought that the restoration was done with. It's just that. We needed a representative of God on the earth to direct our affairs, to warn us of potential new pitfalls or new sins that the church could fall into. So it was kind of more of a directorial kind of management kind of position where God would speak to the prophet and he would show us where we need to go. Or And then leading up to the return of Christ, you know, that role would become much more important, you know, to instruct the saints as to where to gather, um, you know, how every church throughout the world was supposed to operate whether they were all supposed to go to adam on diamond or whatever you know what i mean that's kind of how i saw it i wasn't expecting new books of scripture although i would have liked new books of scripture and and i think a lot of latter-day saints were also kind of wondering when the sealed portion of the book of mormon would be revealed because i think it's in ether where it talks about how there would become there would come a time when those things would be revealed to the church if unless it hasn't unless it is unrighteous or unworthy to receive those words or something like that and I know that there was a talk, I think, in the 70s or 80s uh, from one of the general authorities where they talked about this. And he was anticipating the sealed portion to come, but it still hasn't come yet. Um, unless unless you uh, 
you think Christopher Namelka uh, actually revealed those. I don't know if you guys know about him, but he claims to be the reincarnation of Hiram Smith, and he's published the the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of him, but he's also admitted to being being a fraud, right? That he did it to to kind of pull one over on people. Yeah, yeah, he has. Okay, so um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I. I resonate with a lot of what both of you have said uh, so far. It's, it's, uh, I, you know, I remember uh, being in, in my ward one time and, and the guy who was at the time, um, the gosh, he taught uh, gospel doctrine and he, I think he was the ward mission leader as well at the time. Um, you know, I remember sitting and hearing him, you know, go on and on and on about uh, new scripture. And then, uh, you know, he, over, over several years, he eventually, you know, kind of left the church and uh, left his family. And it was kind of a, kind of a sad situation, but um, yeah, I mean, continuing revelation, you know, what I would say to that is, you know, what, what, what more do we need? Because if you look at, if you look at the arc of, of biblical history, right. Uh, all of the old Testament points forward to Christ and the new Testament is kind of an explication of what uh, it means that Christ came among us and and is now glorified when you get to the book of revelation and and what the future holds for uh those who are in christ so i would i would just ask you know what what more is needed uh in terms of continuing revelation that we don't already have um and then and kind of thinking back on on what the lds church has to offer i would i would argue that they're not offering anything necessary in my opinion well, and in my opinion, everything that they offer is just detracting from Christ in the first place. Anything that, that they are offering is just going to be evidence that their church is true. So it's not pointing to Christ. It is pointing to the priesthood or one of their doctrines, like the preexistence. You know, maybe they could add more details on intelligence and how spirit children are formed or something like that. But it's not going to have anything to do with Christ, because if it were Christ-centered, then it would just be undermining the church, because you don't need the church if Christ is enough. And so if you're emphasizing Christ, then you are diminishing the need for the church. And one of the things I, I think of is when I was a member, I always looked at the prophets and the apostles and said, okay, well, they're on their watchtower. They've got a better vantage point to warn us of the dangers ahead. But the thing is, Christ does that. You know, they've taken his seat and usurped his power, and, and we don't need a man for those things. If we have the spirit, then we've already got, you know, we've already got a shepherd in Christ watching over us. So uh, that, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't know if we wanted to get into Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 at some point, but I'm sure that'll come up. But yeah, when, when I think, Paul, you were talking about how uh, just that that especially when chap Hebrews chapter one. So we'll probably get into that more in detail, but just looking at that, the whole scope of scripture was pointing to Christ. It's, it's all about Christ. And so, so when Christ in the in God in his fullness was revealed in Christ, that was the, the fullness of his revelation. And so there, there's still scripture that came after his ministry, but it was all pointing backward to what he had done and, and, and describing the works that God did in the early church. So it's, it's all focused around Christ. Like, you know, the meridian of time, that's when the fullness of God's revelation came and, I mean, that's what everything was leading up to was that moment of Christ coming to earth. So when we have that, why, why do we need constantly new ideas, new thoughts? You know, it's, it's like, it's like when, you know, you ever watch a movie and you get to the climax and you're like, oh man, you know, it's like, you know, finally, you know, the, the, 
story's wrapped up, all the conflict is done with, and then you have another hour and a half of movie to go through. And you're just like, but, but we, we already reached the climax. You know, why do I need to watch all this other stuff? <laughs> you know, that's kind of what it feels like with the LDS revelation. It's like, oh, there's this, all this other stuff that's not really that interesting compared to what you've already read. You know, it's kind of like yeah. the Hobbit movies. Sorry, Hobbit film fans, but those, those movies are terrible. <laughs> They're terrible. Right, well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to hold off on that discussion. You are listening to Outer Brightness a podcast for post-Mormons who are drawn by God to walk with Jesus rather than turn away. Outer brightness, outer brightness, outer brightness. There's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth here, except when Michael's hangry, that is, hangry, that is, hangry, that is. We were all born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah more commonly referred to as the Mormon faith. All of us have left that religion and have been drawn to faith in Jesus Christ based on biblical teachings. The name of our podcast, Outer Brightness, reflects John 1, 9, which calls Jesus the true light, which gives light to everyone. We have found life beyond Mormonism to be brighter than we were told it would be, and the light we have is not our own. It comes to us from without, thus Outer Brightness. Our purpose is to share our journeys of faith and what God has done in drawing us to his Son. We have conversations about all aspects of that transition, the fears, challenges, joys, and everything in between. We're glad you found us, and we hope you'll stick around. So what do you think? Uh, You know, Latter-day Saints will often criticize Christians that don't believe in continuing revelation, uh, that they are limiting God. Is it possible to limit God? Matthew, what do you think? Yeah, when you think about it that way, it does sound like Christians are trying to put God in a box. Like, you're telling God that he can't do this that he can't talk again today, that he can't give us new scripture. And again, I think it requires rephrasing the question, rephrasing how we think about it. It's not about limiting God. Excuse me. It's about reading what God has said and understanding what he said. And if he's, if he's promised more revelation, then okay, we should expect it. But as we mentioned before, the revelation was all pointing towards Christ and Hebrews one, we'll get into more detail, really just focuses on how all the prophets were leading up to Christ. You know, they were all looking forward to the day and pointing towards that day. And so, and with the, with the scripture of the new Testament, it just, it's like a, it just finishes the, the story that God wanted to tell. And so we're, it's like, we're waiting for the next book to come out, but God's already said, you know, it's, it's a discussion I had with the missionary the other day. He said, well, John wrote that if you could fill the whole book, the whole earth with books about what Christ did, you could fill the entire earth. <clears throat> so wouldn't we want all those books? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But you have to look at the, the whole narrative. And like we've said, it's, it's a whole narrative leading from creation to glory. And when you read the New Testament in the end of Revelation, it's basically God's stamp at the end saying the end. It talks about the new heavens, the new earth, all of creation being reconciled to God, you know, because we're in a fallen state and even the creation groans because of the fall. But all of that will be reconciled to God and all of God's people will be with him in glory there's nothing really to add to that. It seems like God fit, like the narrative is just finished at that point. So what can we add to it? Yeah. Speaking of which, I don't have a whole lot to add to what you said, Matthew. Uh, you answered that really well. I think I wanted to kind of explore that thought that you brought up though, about that verse at the very end of, of John, where it says, if all the books that could have been written had been written, the whole world would not be able to, to fit them. And a question that's come to my mind is, if there were that many books about Christ, would we be able to read them all? And the answer is no, we wouldn't. And even if we did, 
how much would we be getting out of it? Because we'd have to be reading it pretty quickly, I think. So I think we'd really be missing out on on the quality of those books if we were to uh, to do that. So as far as limiting God, um, I think in our in our minds we can limit God, but in reality, no. And one of the things I've kind of learned just from writing my articles over the years is that uh, like I'll finish an article and I'll think, oh my gosh, I need to go back and add a detail that I missed last time. And then I'll try to find a place to put it and there's nowhere to put it because there's also the flow of the article. And by adding that sentence, you will destroy the flow of the writing that you're doing. And so you have to leave it out. And because adding the, the detail would actually mess it up. And so I have to realize, you know, that when God put together the scriptures, it's like, yes, there probably are more details he could have told us that he decided not to. And I need to trust God that it was left out for a reason, that it's good the way that it is. Because if I say that we need more revelation, that this isn't good enough, then I'm basically saying God didn't know what he was doing when he put this together. What's interesting, too, is a lot of the early Christians wanted to know more about Jesus. You know, they, they, they thirsted for knowledge. And so that's when we see a lot of these apocryphal texts, you know, a lot, we always talk about the apocrypha of the old Testament, you know, Tobit and Esdras and all these other books, but there were a lot of apocryphal new Testament books too. And what they tried to do is they would see a gap, you know, there's really nothing we know about Jesus from when he was what, 12, 13 until his ministry at around 30. And so you see like the, the, the infancy gospel of Thomas, you know, like the gospel according to Judas and all these other texts that came much later after Christ. So they're not, they're not authentic. They were trying to fill in those gaps because they, they saw an audience, they saw a potential need they could fill and they're trying to fill in those, those details. But, but yeah, exactly. Like you were saying, I, I think there is a specific reason why God didn't, didn't reveal everything that happened in Christ's life. There's a reason for that we have the books that we have because that's what we need for eternal life. And, and if we were to have all these extra side stories that could detract or distract from the, the core message of, of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. My, my thoughts uh, on this, if, if I were to answer the question kind of directly, uh, it would be a hard no. It's not possible to limit God. Um, let me explain what I mean by that. So if you think about someone uh, who doesn't believe in God, and rejects the Bible. Is that person limiting God uh, in terms of what God could do in their lives? I would have to answer no. Uh, God could bring them to, to salvation. And in many cases for individuals such as that, God does bring them to salvation eventually. Um, so no, I would say you can't, you can't limit God. With regards to accepting or not the additional books that the Latter-day Saints claim as scripture, um, it's not limiting God to reject that either, because my, my position isn't that God couldn't speak. Um, the question, I think, is, has he spoken in these days? Uh, did he speak to Nephite prophets? Were plates transmitted from prophet to prophet to keep the record and then eventually deposited for the angel Moroni to reveal to Joseph Smith. The question is, did that happen? It's not uh, that I'm limiting God by saying I reject that uh, because I don't think it's possible to limit God. And, and, and the reason I, I take that position is, um, you know, is, is it's the words of Jesus. 
you know, if, if you could limit God, if I could limit God by rejecting the book of Mormon and limit God's ability to exalt me because I reject the book of Mormon and, and, and other LDS scripture, um, then that would be a, a mighty weak God, um, that we would be talking about. Um, and the words of Jesus, no one can come to me except the father draw him. That's pretty stark. It's no one can come to me unless the father draw him. So that to me says, no, you cannot limit God. God will get his way. So um, next question, uh, when God spoke in the past, how did he do so? Did he always speak to a defined hierarchy among his people? Michael, why don't you tackle this one first? All right, that'd be my pleasure. So we do see in the Old Testament, God speaking to prophets quite a bit, which I know that the LDS will latch on to and say, see, that proves that we need a prophet today. But then you also see God speaking to other people, and some of them are heathens. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, for example, God speaks to Abimelech after he takes Abraham's wife, Sarah, and says, you are a dead man. And Abimelech says, well, he said that she was his sister. I'm innocent. You know, he has a conversation with God, and he's not a prophet. And then you also have uh, Pharaoh. Uh, he's the one that receives these visions. Yes, uh, Joshua interprets them, but they are given directly to Pharaoh, who is a heathen king. And then it gets really interesting because God also speaks to uh, women, uh, prophetesses, and they receive revelation for all of Israel. And that really destroys the hierarchy of the LDS church. And it's actually kind of ironic to even for them to even say that God has to speak to a hierarchy when they criticize us of limiting God because we don't have more scripture, but they're the ones limiting God when they say he has to speak to a hierarchy. And he can only give revelation to the father when it comes to the family. You know, there's a whole set of rules that they have for how God will give revelation. And that just doesn't seem to be the case when it comes to the Bible at all. Yeah. Yeah. I love those points about um, the way God spoke to um, people who weren't prophets. Uh, I think that's a good point to make when, when you look at the Bible. So thanks for that, Michael. Matthew, what do you think about this question? Yeah. I would, <clears throat> excuse me. I would agree that God did speak through many different people in many different ways. When we look at ancient Israel as a people, God did choose to primarily speak through chosen vessels. So he, he did primarily choose to speak through prophet. Uh, what we see that when Moses, when he was called up to the mountain, he went there alone and God revealed to him the law and he etched on the stone with his own finger. So when God revealed the 10 commandments on the stone, on the tablets, he etched with his own finger, all the people of Israel were at the bottom of the mountain. So they were waiting patiently, anxiously for God's revelation. And um, later, uh, he called 70 elders, right? Or 72 elders. I forget which number it is. Um, and Moses selected these men to, for God to give, you know, a special blessing upon them to help him because he was a judge where he was trying to judge all these cases and it was just too difficult for him. So he, he was advised by his father-in-law, right. To, to choose these men amongst all of Israel. And so then they were given a special blessing to, to help him with these judgments. So we do see people with special gifts of prophecy throughout time from among the people, but we see that 
changing once we get to the New Testament. And I was just going to read a little bit from Acts chapter 2. Joel, he prophesied that he, he prophesied in the future when it wouldn't just be typically, although there are ex, you know, exceptions, typically several prophets that were chosen by God to represent and speak to the people. There'd be a day when all of God's people would be prophets. So uh, in Acts chapter 2, um, speaking of the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out and uh, God revealed, uh, he's, people spoke through tongues and they were speaking, they were prophesying in different languages. Uh, it says this. Um, Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, the ones that were speaking in tongues, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of, of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. So uh, basically Peter is saying that this prophecy was speaking of that day when God would pour out his spirit and he would prophesy to all of them. So the gift of prophecy in the New Testament church was, was common amongst many of the, the church members. It wasn't just, this, just the elders and deacons that had this ability or, or even the apostles. There were people even amongst them that were prophesying. So kind of a long explanation. Sorry about that. But. No, no, no. It's good. Let me, let me build on it. Um, so the LDS view has this concept that when Moses went up onto the mountain uh, initially, um, he received the higher law that uh the lds believe in right um so everything that that latter-day saints kind of view as part of the gospel uh exaltation plural marriage that that all would have been part of what moses initially received from god to give to israel right and when he came down off of the mountain and saw them worshiping uh the golden calf uh, he busted the tablets uh, from the initial higher law this is the LDS view, of course, that that that, that God had given, uh, and and went back up on the mountain, and then God gave the um, lower law, the Ten Commandments, right? So, if you if you think about that, um, what that means, and, and and LDS will at least at least back when I was still LDS, uh, you know, a little more than ten years ago, you would still have lessons about this, uh, say in priesthood quorum, and and there would be talk about how. You know, Israel was in apostasy from Moses until Jesus, right? And Jesus brings back the uh, the Melchizedek priesthood kind of on the LDS view. Well, if you think about that, there are a lot of prophets in the Old Testament between uh, Moses and Jesus. So how what, what were those prophets? You know, if you think about the LDS hierarchy, prophets, apostles, uh, first presidency, none of that would have been present in the Old Testament, period. And, and, and in fact, what you do see in the Old Testament period is prophets called from outside uh, of, of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, of kind of the, the, the priesthood in Israel and come and speak to the kings and call them to repentance and speak to the priests and call them to repentance. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not as clear cut as the Latter-day Saint narrative tries to make it. 
And so um, when God spoke in the past, he spoke as he chose to. Um, and so, again, I would say you can't limit God. Um, he's going to do uh, what he will do to bring about his purposes, as he says he will do in, in the Bible. All right. So um, here, here's the real question, right? If God wanted to speak today, could he, does he, and what does it look like? Matthew, why don't you take this one first? I'm reminded of uh, Justin Peters. He says, if you want to hear God's voice, or if you want to read what God has spoken, open your Bibles and read. If you want to hear God's voice, read your Bibles out loud. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that too. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, you know, there's different views amongst Christians as to whether people can have the gift of prophecy today. But I think that when we look at scripture, it's, as we've mentioned before, it's sufficient for what we need. There's, there's a really deep passage that we mentioned previously, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. And so I'll just uh, kind of briefly go over it. But <clears throat> a, lot, a lot of times I'll quote that to Latter-day Saints and they'll say, well, that doesn't mean that God will never reveal anything ever again, or we can't have new scripture, <clears throat> or this is only talking about the Old Testament. But I think it's when, when he writes, when he's talking about scripture, Paul is not limiting it just to the Old Testament. I think he's speaking broadly of all of the inspired scripture. And we, you know, that we could go into passages where the writers of the New Testament knew they were writing scripture. Uh, Peter talks about how, or yeah, Peter talks about how the writings of Paul were being twisted, you know, to their own destruction and that these writings are difficult to understand, understand that these are being twisted as are, as are, as they twist the other scriptures. So he's comparing Paul's writings to scripture. Um, but in second Timothy three, uh, Paul writes, sorry, I had the Greek up. So I'll get the parallel back up. Um, so depending on how, you, which translation you use, all scripture is God breathed and beneficial for teaching. Sorry. All scripture is inspired by God or God breathed and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable or complete. Uh, Artios is the Greek for that, which means kind of like to be complete equipped for every good work. <clears throat> so when we really just tear this apart and look at what scripture is, is by nature, it's God breathed. It's inspired by God. They new stuff. It comes from God. It says if God, breathed and the, the words fell onto the pages and it's beneficial for, for which, for what purposes first teaching second for rebuke. So calling someone out for their sin and calling them to repentance, uh, same third for correction to correct somebody on a path that may not be sinful, but may just be on the wrong, the wrong direction. Uh, fourth for training in righteousness. So not just avoiding sin, but to be doing positive righteousness, doing positively what God commands us to do not just to avoid what we should not do. And this is so that the man uh, of God may be fully capable and equipped for every good work, for every good work. So when we think about that, is there any good work that we're not prepared for? No. Is there, is there anything that is missing or lacking? It says that we're complete or fully capable. And basically <clears throat> scripture is inspired to complete us, to, to lead us down the path that God wants us to go. And if we really unwrap what the implications are for this passage, it's not just saying, well, scripture is useful for these purposes and it's nice and it's good. It's saying that if we really follow and understand and prayerfully apply God's word to our lives, it will lead us to exact, become exactly the types of per people that God wants us to be. And there's nothing that's lacking from scripture. And if we follow it perfectly, then we would be, become perfectly what God wants us to be. But we still have that sin nature, so we can't achieve that perfectly in this life. But, but there really is nothing that's lacking in God's word. Uh, I forgot why I brought that up. But, uh, oh, why, why we would need prophecy today. So when we understand that, when we understand what God is saying in 2 Timothy 3, 
we could say, well, God could give us new words for benefits other than knowing how to become one with Christ. You know, maybe, maybe our church needs to start a new program or we need to help out a certain person in the church. Well, I think God has given us principles in scripture, you know, to help the needy, to help the widows and, and the foreigners and, and to give as we should. And he's given us brains to know how to apply that. And we, we prayerfully ask the spirit to help us understand and to follow and to follow the path that God has given for us. But I don't think we need to wait on bated breath every for God to tell us exactly what to do every step. You know, there's a great book also called uh, the final word. And I forget the author's name, but uh, he's from the reform tradition. And he says, if you think about it this way, let's say there's a scenario where there's a man in the street and he needs help. You know, by principle that if you can help, then you probably should help if you can that person in the street. And so we need to prayerfully follow the, the moral teachings and principles in scripture. But if let's say in the second chance that you receive a direct word from God telling you, you need to help that man now and you disobey, then that's going directly against God's will. And you're constrained. You have no choice in that circumstance. In the second case, you have to help that person. Whereas in the first case, you are not constrained, but you are encouraged. You're morally encouraged to help, but it wouldn't necessarily be sin to not help. And there's not a specific way that you're supposed to help you. There could be many ways that you could help him. There's kind of a freedom in the moral principles taught in scripture that we're supposed to, to follow. So there, so that we're not, you know, we're not morally constrained to follow a specific path. If that makes sense uh, to apply that to my mission, I felt like all the time, like I was constantly receiving God's thoughts and God's, you know, like, Oh, I should have talked to that person. I feel like God was telling me to talk to that person. I should have knocked on that door, but I didn't. So, you know, I was constantly disobeying God and going against what he was telling me to do. But when we, when we, when we understand that the principles are taught in scripture and we just, and we're to prayerfully follow them as best as possible, we're not constantly going against what God has spoken. We're just, we're just striving to, to follow God's will prayerfully with the spirit as best we can. You know, we're not, we're not robots. God gives us some measure of freedom and liberty to, to follow his will to an extent. But when, but if we're expecting for God to tell us exactly what to do, then there's no freedom there. We have to follow exactly as we've been told. So sorry, that's quite a lot. I'm going on a rant, but I love it. It was good. Uh, uh, I like what you said about there's, there's kind of a moral freedom uh, in, in the the commands that are given to us. Michael, let me play off of that and throw you kind of a curveball of a question. All right. Okay. All right. So Latter-day Saints will often uh, try to, bolster uh, the need for continuing revelation in particular from their prophets by saying that, you know, the world is different now than Bible times. We have different concerns, different challenges. Uh, what, how would you answer that, uh, that challenge that, that says we need continuing revelation because there's new stuff that we have to deal with? Uh, I guess the first thing that I would say is did God or was God not aware of the challenges that we would be facing in the future when he talked about the last days in Revelation. Because it seems to me like he did know exactly what was going to be happening up until the very end when the second coming is, is going to occur. And the scriptures do cover that. And, and ultimately, what moral dilemma do we have right now that isn't answered in the scriptures? You know, we have new problems, sure. Uh, it's in new, pretty packaging. But when you open up that packaging, it's the same moral dilemmas that and the same sins that we've struggled with as humans since the dawn of time it's really nothing new so i don't think that that's a good reason to say that you need new revelation and and then finally what i would probably 
say too is, you know, where does it address these problems that we have now in the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants? Because by their standard, those books are now obsolete. So do we just throw those away then if what you're saying is true? So it is a double-edged sword that they're playing. Yeah, for sure. And one one of the challenges they face is that, you know, with regards to their prophets and apostles, some of the guidance that they have given over the years uh, has proven to be harmful uh, to their people, uh, painful to African-Americans, for example. Um, So, you know, it's not like they've been very effective at providing guidance that is tailor-made for our day. Um, They've they've been kind of behind the curve on that. Um, Well, yeah, and and just to add to that too, you've got the the COVID-19 pandemic. And so there you've seen pictures of of President Nelson wearing a mask and getting the vaccines, but what have they told their people that is any different from what the government has been telling everybody? And so there's, they're not doing anything special or above and beyond what the, what even the government is doing. But they've been preparing for all those months with those vitamins, Michael. (laughs) I mean, I'd be more impressed to see them uh, evoke the priesthood and take care of the problem. I mean, that's what the biblical prophets would have done. Moses separated the Red Sea. Elijah caused it to stop raining. You know, there's all these miracles that they've done. And and I'm still waiting to see something like that from these men that they claim are prophets today. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to some of the some of the scriptures that that uh, come into play from the Bible uh, when you have this kind of conversation about continuing revelation with Latter-day Saints. So it used to be very common to see Christians and Mormons argue over whether or not Deuteronomy 4.2, uh, 12.32, and Revelation 22.18 indicate that the Bible is the complete word of God. So let me, um, let me just read those real quick. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.2 says... You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And then Deuteronomy 12, 32 says, whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to or take away from it. And finally, Revelation uh, 22, 18 states, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So is is this a good argument to use with Latter-day Saints? Why or why not? Michael, what do you think? Okay, so when you say, is this a good argument to use, are you saying to use Revelation 2218 saying that nothing should have been added to the yes. scripture. Yep. I would say that it is not a good argument to use on a Latter-day Saint. Um, in fact, I've had this used on me as a Latter-day Saint, and I would immediately go to the verses in Deuteronomy and say, well, according to your logic, everything after Deuteronomy is damning to those who wrote it because they weren't supposed to add to the prophecy. And so we can deduce that these passages are talking about that book of scripture itself and not everything that was written after it. So I wouldn't use that in that way with a Latter-day Saint. Now, there is a way that you can use it, but I would go a different route. So if those revelations were not to be added to, then we can presume that they were given accurately and that they were preserved. 
And if that is the case, then that must also be true of other revelation as well. And there's no need to add or take away from any of it. Uh, Now, something that's kind of interesting. So I kind of looked this up today because I was like, huh, I wonder what the Joseph Smith translation is in these passages. And there's actually Joseph Smith translations done in Deuteronomy and in the book of Revelation. I don't know if you guys were aware of that, but I looked at Deuteronomy 10.2. This is the Joseph Smith translation. It says, "I'll, I'll put the same words on the first tablets that you broke, except the words of the everlasting covenant of the holy priesthood. So they've put in this LDS doctrine into the Joseph Smith translation. And then when it comes to the book of Revelation, I didn't read through all of them, but several chapters in Revelation were changed in the Joseph Smith translation. So you've got Revelation 1, 2, 5, 12, and 19. So there is a lot of changing of what that Revelation said, which according to what you just read in in Revelation means that Joseph Smith is in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Matthew, what do you think? Yeah, I just happened to have my book, the uh, Joseph Smith's New Translation of the Bible. So I was just checking those verses. Yeah. And I, I should have checked that before, but that's that's great that you brought that up, Michael. Um, yeah, I agree that we really shouldn't use those. They're, they're in the context of the, the words that were given to them. You know, I think Moses was giving the words, the law to Israel. And so it was saying, don't add to, or take away from this law. And in Revelation, it's talking about the revelation that given to John. So, yeah, I really don't think that's a good argument, like Michael said. You think he's on to something with, with, with flipping it with his argument to, to say, you know, that it, that it proves that the revelation was given accurately and, and has been preserved. Uh, I miss, I missed that. Exactly. Um, in the sense that, could you repeat it? Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm missing the connection here. I, I didn't do a good job of paraphrasing it. Michael, can you jump in here? Yeah. So I think what I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to repeat it oh, as no. well as I did last time, but I think what I was trying to say was that if, those passages that if God said, do not add or take away from this word, you know, that it was given perfectly. Otherwise there would have been permission to add or take away from it, but we weren't supposed to touch it. And if that is the case with revelation and Deuteronomy, then that is likely the case with all the other scripture as well, that it was given accurately and that we shouldn't be touching it. Mm, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Well, I mean, that's in particular, I think specifically speaking to John, but yeah, I would, I would say that that also applies to the rest of scripture that, um, and there's, there's a lot you could talk about with textual criticism because, uh, that's, that's a whole another issue that we could talk about, but, but really, yeah, I, I don't think w- when it, when it comes to what God has spoken, that's what we should be concerned about, you know? And, and I think, I think Latter-day Saints, they think about that a lot, you know, well, what about the Bible? It's been corrupted over time and, and they'll point to changes in, the, the manuscripts have been copied over time. And um, I don't think it was, you know, instances where there were words that were added by copyists. I don't think that was deliberate. Typically what happened was if there was a note in the margin, they wanted to be careful and make sure they didn't forget anything. So they would include the marginal note sometimes. And so then that would be added into the next copy. But due to textual criticism, we can, we can weed out a lot of those additions over time. So we're really blessed by God to have all this manuscript tradition that we can use to, to weed out, so to speak, the the accidents that copyists made over time. So I, I think God has preserved his word and, and we can trust what God has given us. All right. Good. All right. So what about uh, Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 then? Uh, does that passage indicate a closed canon? And I'll read it. Uh, it says, 
God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So is, is using Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 a good argument for a closed canon? Matthew, what do you think? And I don't think it's necessarily saying here that, no, you're not going to get, we're not going to receive any more revelation. I forget in the timeline where Hebrews shows up. I know it's not the last book written, but it's, it's one of the later books written. Um, so we know that there were books written after Hebrews. So he's not saying, well, prophets are done with, we're not going to receive any more revelation. It's, it's more speaking about the role of the, the Old Testament prophet prophesying to the future of Christ. And so I think Jesus himself said that John was the last of these kind of prophets. There were prophets in the New Testament, but they served kind of a different purpose where they, were, they weren't foretelling of the Christ to come. It's more foretelling God's will and God's word to. But yeah, this, it's a little bit, it's a bit of a nuanced passage because it's, it's not explicitly stating there would be no more scripture, but it's kind of like we talked about before where all of the Bible is Christocentric. So it's all focusing and centered on Christ. So the narrative it's, it's got this crescendo that's leading up to the birth of Christ and his ministry and, and his atoning work. And then everything written after that is kind of setting up the church and giving directions as to how to lead the church and, and commenting back on what has been given. The New Testament comments so much on the Old Testament and refers to the Gospels as well. And so it, you can't really say that definitively that this is saying no more scripture would be given, but it's, it's kind of saying that Jesus is the final revelation of God. He's, he's the final and and the zenith of what God was revealing to mankind. So everything that happens after that, or, you know, that's revealed after that is more of an epilogue kind of, uh, if you're talking about in terms of a react structure type of thing. So um, yeah, I don't know if you can make sense of anything I said there, but hope something makes sense out of that. (laughs) Absolutely. I can make sense of it. And then, you know, when you get to, when you get to revelation, uh, it opens with, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, the father gave to him to uh, give to his bond servants. Right. So um, you have Jesus as the final revelation, and then you have the revelation of Jesus Christ of the future and the last days uh, given to to the church. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's a good argument to be made there that that, that the point of Hebrews is not necessarily closed canon, but that, uh, as you said, the revelation of Jesus Christ to the world uh, in in, uh, coming to save uh, sinners is is the zenith of God's revelation. It's what everything was leading towards, uh, and everything now looks back to. Michael, what do you think about this uh, Hebrews one one to two passage? You see it bantied about a lot. Yeah, I uh, I really like the way that Matthew put it. Actually, uh, I think that that is really good. I was thinking about it kind of in terms of of being an author myself and how the Bible is a complete story in and of itself. You know, you've got the fall, which is the introduction, and then you've got the history and and the prophecies about Christ, which is the rising action. Then you've got the ministry of Christ and his atonement, which is the climax, and then the epistles and the acts, which is the falling action, and then revelation, which is the conclusion. It is a complete story in and of itself. There is nothing to add to it whatsoever because it is a complete work. And the second that you put something else in there, like the Book of Mormon, you know, to try to say that this is a a sequel, it's a really bad sequel, basically. I mean, you look at the Book of Mormon and how much of it is copied 
verbatim from the King James version of the Bible, right? I mean, they say that it's this new revelation, but then so much of it is just the exact same thing because there really isn't anything that you can add to what was said before. It's perfect. You know, how do you compete with that? You can't. Going back to your uh, Star Wars example, if we will. I mean, you look at the new trilogy, the new Disney trilogy versus the original (laughs) trilogy. It's basically taking the same markers, the same stories, right? They switch up things here and there, but you know, like a lot of the same beats, it's kind of the same thing. Like you were saying with the book of Mormon, it's like a lot of the same beats that all led up to Jesus visiting them, you know, and then it's talking about, you know, promises given to the believers. It's like, it's like you could, you could, you could pin down all the notes that it took from the original trilogy. And the same thing with the book of Mormon. It's like, a lot of times, a lot of the saints will say, well, could you write the Book of Mormon? And I'm like, well, I mean. You're blowing my mind here. I mean, Yoda, <laughs> Yoda destroyed the, the Jedi volumes, you know, mm-hmm. like, man, Joseph Smith, the Bible's corrupt. Yoda destroying the volumes. Oh, my goodness. Except Ray saved them before he could burn them. So that's like Joseph Smith snatching the uncorrupted Bible from the, the, the whore of Babylon, you know to preserve them for the rest of, I don't know where I'm going with this. Let me finish the analogy for you real quick with my ultimate, you know, inexperience with star Wars. You know, I thought that that baby Grogu was Yoda. And then I realized <laughs> that he wasn't. And it's kind of like how I thought the book of Mormon was inspired scripture. And it's not, it's nothing like that. It's a totally different animal different creature entirely but grogu is cute come on (laughs) all right all right fireflies that's a wrap for this topic feel free to share your thoughts in the outer brightness group on facebook is there an aspect of this topic we missed something that you'd like us like to see us discuss in the future next week we'll be publishing a debate between paul and brett dennis the topic was is the book of abraham ancient scripture until then shine bright fireflies We thank you for tuning into this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please visit the Outer Brightness Podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send us a message there with comments or questions by clicking send a message at the top of the page, and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness group on Facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, and suggestions for future episodes, etc. You can also send us an email at outerbrightness at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon. You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness Podcast on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, you can check out our new YouTube channel. And if you like it, be sure to lay hands on that subscribe button and confirm it. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen and help spread the word. You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well. Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road by visiting their ministry page at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Stay bright, flyerflies. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life And we have believed and have come to know That you are the Holy One of God
promise that we, as your church, would remain upon this rock and the gates of hell.